Herald and News. Herald and News, your news now. Herald and News. Empowering the community. Basin Views. Herald and News, your news now. Klamath Falls, Oregon. Herald and News. Podcast. Empowering the community and serving the Klamath Basin. This is the Herald and News Basin Views Podcast. Greetings and welcome to Basin Views, a Herald and News podcast featuring interviews with local experts discussing issues important to the Klamath Basin. I'm Kurt Lidke with the Herald and News. This week, our guest is Rochelle Long, the Klamath County Clerk, who, among her many roles as the county record keeper, is the one responsible for counting the votes each election. Here to detail how that process works and much more, Rochelle Long. Rochelle, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, we did just wrap up an election here in Oregon, although I know you're still actually counting votes at this point. Uh, So we will delve into all that. But I always like to start these off with getting to know our guests a little bit more. Could you tell us more about yourself, please? Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Klamath Falls, and I started working at the county. I want to say it was, well, it's been 15 years I've been at the county. So it was 2003. And I started off temping in the tax collection office, and then I worked part-time in the assessor's office, and then I worked in um, the finance department, and I worked in the IT department, and then I, about seven years ago, I went to the clerk's office as the elections deputy. And then um, when Linda Smith retired, she asked that they appoint me as Klamath County clerk, and the board of commissioners did do that, and so now I'm the Klamath County clerk. So it sounds like something you just kind of fell into then. It's not like dreams, aspirations as a kid. I'm going to be a county clerk when I grow up. Correct. I, I, that was not my plan, I don't think. <laughs> uh, but it is a challenging position, and I really enjoy working with people and the public, and we try to do our best. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, it is hard some days, but we overall, I think most people are comfortable coming to our office and enjoy working with the employees. So what does a county clerk's office actually do? I'm sure size varies based on population of each county, right? But how how does a a a county clerk's office function? We have a total of five employees counting myself. We have downsized over the years. When recording was at a boom, there was quite a few more employees. We do, of course, recording. So anything that you do to change title on property, and then we do we keep those records. We are responsible for the commissioner's journals. So anything that they have meetings on, those are the other records that we keep. We, of course, have election records. We um, are responsible for the record retention for all of those things. And for archiving, we have um, we do passports, marriage licenses. So we joke around when people come in for divorce records. We say, no, we just do the happy part. <laughs> the sad part you have to go across the street for to the courthouse. Um, and we do, so we do passports, marriage license, and we also do, it's kind of a different thing people don't think about, but we also do what's called board of property tax appeals. And we nicknamed that BOPTA. So when taxes come out, if you want to dispute your tax bill, we are the office that you file that with. We're the neutral party. And we hold those hearings and appoint, uh, the commissioners appoint that board. And then we have the hearings and schedule all of that. So you're dealing with historic records, you're dealing with um, current stuff, so I'm sure there's a balance of analog and digital here in terms of computer record keeping and some very old paper archives. So what kind of skills go into being a good clerk? What kind of skills? So it is a lot of multitasking, and it is a lot of learning new technology versus what the old systems did and kind of merging those together. We are We've been fairly successful in that. We do keep all the books. 
and they are a permanent record. So we send off about two books every year to be restored just to keep that preservation up. It's not cheap. It's about $5,000 a book to do that. Um, for records, for indexing, right now we're doing that in-house, and we are back through 1999, I believe, and we had, we try to get, we're trying to get a year done every year, basically. And so that, when you go to do a record search, you can type in the names instead of having to go through the actual books. It sounds like it would be a great job for someone with severe OCD, yeah. to, to me. Um, <laughs> everything in its exact right place. Do you ever ran, randomly come across a document like, oh, this should be over there, not in this book? We do. <laughs> we do. And we come across marriage licenses where it has the wrong year in the book, but we find it in the other full, you know. There's always stuff like that. When you're dealing with people, we always, we're human. We make errors. So we do come across that stuff. We just laugh a little bit, but. Really wanted to have you come in to talk about elections because this was a midterm election year, but it was one of the most fascinating midterm election years on a national perspective that we've had in a long, long time. There were a lot of compelling races. Politics right now is something that is not only very divisive, but a lot of people are very invested in what's going on locally, regionally, and nationally. And so I really wanted to get the perspective of how elections work, not from the voters' perspective, but from those who are tallying everything and and trying to provide this information. It's not a partisan position, right? You're there to make sure that the account is totally accurate, and it's not a Democratic vote, it's not a Republican vote, it's here is the total vote, right? Correct. Our, our motto is we want both parties to love our office, all parties to love our office, even if they're not affiliated with a party. So we joke around about that because people say, well, what's your opinion on this? And we're like, we really have no opinion. <laughs> and it's funny when you're in there in that process, and if you ever came and watched and observed, you're so busy you really aren't paying attention to which way it's going or like if it's we're primarily leaning Republican or we're primarily leaning Democrat. We really do stay neutral because we really are just trying to get that information out. So it's kind of funny. So we joke around about we truly are neutral. <laughs> it seems like one of those things where it's such a frantic pace. Once the polls officially close, everyone wants the numbers now. Correct. Immediately. It would be like one of those things where you're trying to count up change and someone is saying random numbers behind you and you're you're trying desperately to, to keep track of what number you're on. I, I would imagine you don't have time to sit there and think, oh, that's surprising. Oh, I didn't expect that this would pass when you're just thinking, got to get through 20,000 votes now in the next hour or so. Very correct. Yeah, we do uh, We do get phone calls. Well, what is your take on this? I'm like, um, can you tell me really quick what the results were? Because I was just getting the numbers down and they were like, yeah, you probably haven't had time to look at it. I'm like, I really haven't. We just are making sure that the numbers are in there and that it's accurate, but I'm not paying attention to what's yes and what's no or which is for which candidate. So, which is probably a good thing because if you had someone that was like not like, migrating towards one or another, it wouldn't seem as fair. So Elections these days seem to be starting earlier and earlier. I mean, on cable news, they're already talking about 2020 presidential election right now, and we just finished the midterm. How far in advance does the clerk's office start preparing for an election? And what goes into that preparation? So we're still, of course, closing out this election, but we've already started on our election that's coming in May. So it, it's a good chunk before it starts that we'll be starting on that process. 
There's um, Oregon's very specific, and I have to give claps to Oregon for this. They're very specific in their guidelines of when letters go out to, dis for example, in May is our special district election. And so it's set out for a deadline that letters go out to districts so they can review it and make sure that that these are the positions that they have up and that things come back in a timely manner so that we can advertise that and get that out to the public. So we start on elections pretty, I hate to say this, but we're already preparing for the 2020 presidential. And that's just mentally a lot of it, but a lot of it is we've noticed when we had observers in for this election, things that we need to do a little differently for them to be able to observe more fully. So there's things like that that you're always thinking of and always in the process of. Election day itself, what is that like? Now, I know being, since Oregon is a state that votes by mail exclusively, you don't have the long lines outside of polling stations and all that. But I imagine it's got to be just frantic breakneck pace uh, on Tuesday evenings of election day. When do you actually get a chance to sleep during election time? Um, yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, this election we got done at 3 a.m., it's and you get your doors by statute are open at 7 a.m., which is actually good because anyone that's trying to get stuff done before they go to work is able to do that. We we stay so busy that day. It's almost a rush and it's adrenaline pumping you because you're like, how can you stay up that late? I ask myself that. How am I staying up that late and still have energy? And it is. It's adrenaline because it is a rush and it is exciting, even though we're we're in the background of it. But it's fun to see people be so excited about voting. And there was a huge national push this year. And I think that's where a lot of that came from and stemmed from. And we did have a really good turnout, which was exciting. Our uh, last day coming in, we kind of we kind of look at past numbers and can kind of see statistically like how our ballots are going to flow in. And we surpassed that tremendously, like doubled some of our outlining areas that night. So... That's part of why we were here a little later than usual. In the midst of election day craziness, do you ever have someone show up for something non-election related? Like, oh, I'd like to check into this book. And you're just like, really? On this day, you're bothering me with that? We do. <laughs> we do. And it's funny because um, you want to be like, really? But, but you understand there's other business going on besides elections. And we have to remember, too, that... Although we're primarily focused on elections, not everybody is primarily focused on elections. So for Klamath County in the state of Oregon, how does the counting process actually work? Because there's ballots stuffed into envelopes that are coming in in mass to you. How does that go about getting counted? And then how does that get reported? So Oregon, we all have to by the 31st. So this is what I mean, already preparing. So by January 31st, each county has to provide to the Secretary of State's office a confidential security plan. And in that security plan, it will lay out basically, and it once that it lays out exactly how everything will happen following Oregon statute. Once that, and it, it covers emergency situations too. So for example, if our scanner, we have a backup scanner, but say they completely went down, all of Klamath County shut down, we're stuck. Um, because we have backups, we're going to run our backup and take our election to another county that has the same machine, and we're able to keep going. So it never really can stop. There might be a lull, but it can't ever stop. And so once we turn in those security plans, the Secretary of State's office reviews them and then says, okay, your stamp for approval for these elections it covers two elections, or I shouldn't say that, it covers the year. So if you have two main elections, and then you usually have a couple special depending on the county. Um, 
So it covers those. And once you get that stamp of approval, what that stamp of approval lets you do is what's called early ballot scanning. And so a week before, so we start processing. The ballots come in. We put them in trays by 100 in Klamath County. Count them, make sure there's 100. Then we verify every single signature. So if you were to come look at our screen, we scan each ballot in. They're tied to a barcode that pulls up that signature for that person. That's what we're looking at when we um, check each signature. Once we've checked each signature, they are counted again to make sure our numbers match our batches. Our batches are put in boxes, and they're sent to be opened. Now, we can't start opening technically till a week before. So until we can start opening, they're stored in boxes that in a secured location that we only have the key for. One thing that's been discussed a lot, maybe not so much in Oregon, but on a national level with elections recently, is questions about whether people's votes are actually being counted. There's been a lot of accusations about voter suppression. This year, there was a, a, a lot of controversy when North, I think it was North Dakota, decided that you couldn't vote if you had a P.O. box. Um, and there's questions of voter purging and all, all these other things. So a lot of people are curious, like, okay, I go through the process to vote, but did my vote actually get counted? So what are some of the things that can cause someone's vote to be invalidated? We don't really ever invalidate a vote. If your ballot's turned in, it's turned in. But what you mean by, like, not being counted would be if you didn't sign your envelope, which that's why Oregon is very very strict about giving people 14 days to respond to that. So at the beginning, usually we'll get a lot of response back and they'll sign the postcard to have their ballot counted. As soon as those signatures come back in, we match it up to their ballot and that ballot's processed. The other thing is signatures not matching, um, but they are given the opportunity to rectify that also. And a lot of times, honestly, on the signatures not matching is they were automatically registered through DMV. And we all know when we sign those signature pads, it does not look the same. It always shows up uh, anytime I have to sign like a credit card thing. It looks like I'm back in kindergarten. It shows yep. up like backwards R's. and yes, Exactly. <laughs> and I can I honestly can say mine does not look the same on that machine either. But we'll have that one on file, and then if you update with another registration card, then we'll have both on file. So if, if you ever sign differently, we have two to compare against. So we'll compare against more than one signature. So those are the two main things that would cause someone to, to ballot to be invalidated. We've had some people that sign as power of attorney. We don't get very many of those, but in Oregon, you cannot sign as power of attorney. Um, if you're older and your signature's changed, we do, and, you, and you're having a hard time signing, Oregon offers what's called a signature attestation form. You can sign that and mark it with an X, or if you have a signature stamp, you can put that on there, and then that's on file at that point, and then we can process your ballot from that also. So we try to give everybody the opportunity to. So truly, if it if it did not count and you've cast it, it's because usually one of those reasons. As more elections get questioned these days. There's a lot of accusations that fly around and questioning of, is this number actually valid? Was it hacked? Was it this or that? It seems like I've lost track of how many times people say, well, why don't we just vote the way Oregon does? Why is Oregon the standard bearer for how elections should be run? Oregon is one of, I think it might be the only state that goes on voter intent. So even though a machine reads your ballot once, once we get through that process and it is put through a scanner, every single ballot has a scanned image, and we go through those scanned images. So, for example, this is the perfect election, this past election, because there were so many measures on there. 
And people couldn't decide what they wanted. So they would call, I guess I need a new ballot because I've marked all over it. And we're like, just make your intent clear. And we literally do go through every single one. And if they crossed out yes, they crossed out no and made their own oval and put no, it counted as a no. So Oregon's one of those few states that actually looks at almost every single ballot to make sure that the voter intent is actually taken to account for. And I think that's why it's not questioned as much as other states. It doesn't just go, you don't just vote, turn it into a machine and you're done. You vote, it's turned in, people check your signature. It gets opened privately and secretly. Nobody knows how anyone voted. So we laugh when people put notes on their ballots because we don't know who it belongs to, but it's funny. And then it goes through a machine to count those votes, but then we still go through them and make sure that every single vote is accounted for. Okay. Uh, what benefits and what drawbacks are there to Oregon's voting system? It's a little more time consuming. So like, for example, in our county, we try to make sure that we've gone through the majority of those overvotes and write-ins before we um, release initial results at 8 p.m. on election night. But you will notice that write-ins will go down when the final results come out, and that's because we've actually gone through those thoroughly and can see, oh, they filled in the oval, but they don't have someone written in, or they didn't fill in the oval, but they do have somebody written in. And so we go through those more intently before we actually certify the election. So you will see that numbers will vary a little bit, not usually for candidates, but for those write-ins and overvotes and undervotes, and that's because we're literally going through every single thing to make sure that it is accounted for. Um, which is a little more time-consuming. It's not just putting it in a machine and here's your results. Which is fascinating that you say that because it seems like, you know, if you're watching uh, one of the cable news shows on election night to see what the results are, sometimes they'll call races within like 20 minutes of polls closing and it seems like, how did they count the votes that fast? Right, and I, we get a lot of phone calls on that because they're like, my ballot didn't even get there till 9 o'clock. How can they say... We understand. These are just initial results. They're just saying the margin is big enough at this point that even with everything that it looks like is coming in, it technically would not go the other way, which is a possible, but it has backfired before on people when they've done that. I think Arizona this year even, that happened, and then it turned the other way. So you have to be careful when they call races like that. And there is, of course, the infamous Dewey defeats Truman from, yes. uh, what was it, 1948? This year's election brought up some interesting tidbits that I didn't know until just recently amidst all of the various controversies that happen in, in certain select states, that the U.S. Constitution, one, there is no statement in the U.S. Constitution that guarantees the right of each citizen to vote, and two, there is no national standard. It states that every state shall make its own standard for, for tallying votes and for holding elections. That creates a lot of issues because it seems like sometimes it's the same states. Florida, it seems like every time there's an election, there's a controversy surrounding what, what happens there. As someone who is responsible for counting the votes, why isn't there some kind of national standard that says this is how we go about handling elections? This is how we, we count things. Do you think there should be? I think it would be awesome if there were. I think it's a little over-optimistic on my part to say that, too, because each state functions differently and each state has their own thing that they're strong in and their laws govern differently and how they pass their laws may even govern a little differently. So it's hard to put everybody on that same page and standard for that. There could be some 
standards as far as like everyone does vote by mail instead of going to polls because we've noticed that the poll thing has been an issue, people waiting in line, or people don't want to wait in line to vote because it takes so long. And this is like, we basically call this in Oregon now at-home voting. You can sit at your house and vote and you're done. Just drop it off. It is interesting now. Oregon seems to try to make it as easy as possible to be registered with the motor voter laws and then voting by mail. And then you see on the news people standing in line for four hours on a Tuesday when Election Day, for some absurd reason in this country, isn't a national holiday. It seems like it it should be a federal holiday and to have it on a Monday, not a Tuesday. But there's a whole history behind that. Amidst all, I'm sure on election days, you're busy enough, but when you actually get a chance to breathe and kind of look up from the desk and see what's happening on a national level, do you ever just kind of head slap and go, why does all this happen around, this doesn't happen to, to us? Do you feel bad for other clerks in, in some states where they're dealing with some of these vote tally issues and hand recounts and questions of valid numbers and all that? I do. I do feel bad. <laughs> I can imagine the position that they're in. And it, it literally, I think I would be sick if I were them. I mean, I think I would be sick to my stomach. It's, it's a lot of work. Just I can't personally, I can't even imagine trying to organize all those poll sites, let alone that minus all the other stuff with the votes being counted. I, the one thing I also have to give claps to Oregon for is they are very, their laws are very concrete on recounts also. So before you can even start recounting, you have to be certified. So I know like in Florida, for example, they were recounting before they were even officially certified. And I can't even imagine the nightmare of that. I I could just, it would seem like a paperwork nightmare to me. Okay, these ones have already been counted. They're official. These ones are not official, but we have to recount the, you know, I just can't even imagine. We've heard about hanging chads and electronic voting machines that might be hacked or having the results changed and lack of paper trails and all all this other stuff. Granted, I'm not in in your shoes, but just as a voter and someone who pays attention, it's frustrating for me. eh? When I see clerks ending up being in national news and they're being called out by the president and they're being harassed and and getting death threats and these other things, when they're just trying to to do their job, I just feel terrible for the person. Me too. It's a lot of stress and pressure. And nine times out of ten, the individual is probably doing the best that they can in the situation that they can. We could both be in the same situation, and I'm going to react differently than you're going to react. So it's hard to make that judgment call on a person when they're just trying to do the best they can in the position that they're in and the pressure that they're under. Now, Oregon, I know, is a little bit different, but when election times come around, is that sort of the paranoia that keeps you up at night is that could be me come Wednesday? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Although... Oregon, which is nice, and um, Secretary of State Dennis Richardson had said this at one time, you can't hack paper, and it's true, you can't hack paper. And when you have to have a scanned image of every ballot, it's pretty much virtually impossible to hack it. And Oregon's voting system, which actually, so we have more than one double check, which I love because it can tell me what's going on, but where we actually check in your ballot is not what actually scans your ballot. So we have that number to balance against what actually is being scanned. So what when it actually goes through the scanner, that system is not connected to anything. So you can hack my computer in my office on my network all you want, but I still have the real results and you can't touch them. <laughs> so for Oregon, for that from that perspective, that's nice. Nothing communicates with where we scan those results. I actually have to put it on a USB stick and take it over to my computer to upload the results so people have them. Nothing 
everything. It's its own little unique system. It has its own little server that communicates only with itself. And that is the nice thing about Oregon. So when all the results are verified, aside from getting the world's greatest nap on the couch where everyone leaves you alone, uh, what happens when all, all the results are in? Once all the results are in and you've certified, then Oregon is a little beyond its um, other states this way. They actually like to do what's called a test of the vote tally machines. So they want to make sure, even though, guess what, we're certified, everything looks great, it all checks out, you're going to recheck it again. So we're going to make sure that those tally machines read correctly. So that's actually what we're doing right now. So we do a certification before we can even run ballots. We do a certification after we're done before we can finalize our results, we have to do another certification to make sure it matches the first certification. And now we're doing a certification to make sure that everything that ran in, like, say, these particular four batches matches exactly what we're hand counting. So right now we're in the process of hand counting. So you know the Oregon system, but just looking at a national level, if you were able to do it, how would you handle elections on county levels, state levels, national levels, if you could restructure our, our elections and say, this is the way that everyone's going to do it? Well, that would be a big responsibility. I would say the double checks is always a good thing. As much as people and election clerks hate to hear this, where they hack those voting machines, man, make sure you are there and, and know what's being hacked and how it's being hacked, especially if you have those machines, and take every precaution that you can against that. I know there's federal regulations, and Oregon has even more regulations for testing things before they can even be used. But if, you're, if these hackers can get to it at these conventions and they're able to hack that machine, you better be knowing what's going in your county and if it's hackable and what you can do to prevent it. And I'd probably want those hackers on my staff. <laughs> well, it's nice to hear that there's so many protections in place. But if Klamath County ever became something like what we saw in this past election with Broward County in, in Georgia, where suddenly the entire nation's eyes are on it and the clerk saying the numbers aren't right, go back and recount and you have two days to count everything or none of the numbers count at all, which just seemed really arbitrary and weird, but that's the way that it worked out. How would you react if that was Klamath County? First, I'd take a deep breath, <laughs> and I think I would lay out a plan and try to be as organized as possible, and I think I would hold off media questions until I could get through that process, and then once I've gotten through that process, then we could start that process of answering all the questions, but I think I would hold off everybody for a little bit. Let's focus, regroup, let's get this going, make sure that we're as accurate as possible, outline everything that we can, follow it step by step, and then go from that point. It seems like there's a lot of pressure on you and your staff during election times. At what point do you get to relax and unwind? Is there a vacation time at any point? Is, is the uh, aforementioned nap uh, coming up soon? We, I'm kind of laughing because our last report for this election is due December 31st. So New Year's Eve will be great. <laughs> we do try to get done as soon as we can. Um, so as soon as we're done with our hand count, I'll be moving on to that last report, which is actually the cost of the election. So it won't be as stressful because it's just making sure that we're accounting for all the costs of that election. As a record keeper and an archivist, has the clerk's role changed over time? Not really. Just the technology used to do it. I think it's become a little more proficient just because we do have better technology but it's still the same role. 
Why is the clerk's office important? Well, if you want to get married, <laughs> um, if you want to have land sale agreements, contracts, deeds, that all comes through us. That's where it, it's held. So when you record that, if you ever need a, a certified copy or you got to prove that you actually did something, it's all held there. So it's important that way. It's probably more important that way during the year than when you hit the election, to be honest with you, because that's the stuff that people are doing on a daily basis. What is available from the clerk's office online versus having to physically come into the office? Um, you can call in. We can do anything and email it to you. There's, there is a cost. However, uh, the assessors and tax office just got a new system that ties into our recording system. So within the next year is our goal, it will all be available online. So you can go look up your tax record, and then at the same time, you can click, and it will show you the deeds for the history of your property. So if you had to show a chain of title, you could have that right there at your fingertips. Is the clerk an elected position, or is it appointed? It is an elected position. Okay, so have you had people uh, run against you? I have Where they yet. have a vendetta against <laughs> Rochelle for some reason? I have not yet. So I just got appointed um, last year in May. So I had done the position for a year, which most people didn't even know. So that's good. That means it just stayed flowing. Yay! And then this was my first election. So, And I did not have anyone run against me. Is it a little awkward as, as a nonpartisan position where you try to be totally neutral to know that at a certain point you may have an election and have to actually run and for your, your job? Yes, <laughs> it is. People are like, so how does it feel to be clerk? I'm like, well, I've been doing clerk. They didn't even know it was funny. I was like, but it is good. It's a little scary too, but you can be recalled at any time, which is fine. I'd still be neutral. We still have to check your signatures. But people don't realize, too, even being appointed, you can be recalled. So, yeah, it's just it's a it is a different dynamic and you are a servant to the public. And so and I try to get that through so that people realize we are here to serve you. So even though I'm elected, I still even if you hate me, I'm still going to serve you because that's my job. So there's a lot of responsibility on the clerk's office, but it seems like something that with a few exceptions, unless you're getting married or it's election time, the clerk's office is largely out of sight, out of mind. So what should people perhaps know about county clerks that isn't normally thought of? That's a really good question. We are out of sight and out of mind, and that would be a positive thing if we are. We should be working in the background quietly just to make sure that you're getting the county is getting what it needs, but it shouldn't be out like openly, like we do this and this and this and this. If you don't hear from us, that's a good thing. That means that things are flowing and we're not in the front headlines doing something wrong. We, our main goal in the clerk's office is just to provide that good customer service and be there if questions come across. And if people do have questions, how can they get a hold of you? They can always call us, and our phone number is 541-883-5134. They're more than welcome to come in. And I have people personally ask for me all the time. That's totally fine. We take those phone calls, too. Not above taking public phone calls. I have people call really upset, and I have people call really happy, and I'll take both. Rochelle Long is the Klamath County Clerk in charge of tallying all of our votes, uh, marriage licenses, and so many other things associated with the clerk's office. Rochelle, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule amidst yet another count validation to come in and explain just how elections work here in the state of Oregon. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me.